0: This is the Deep Color podcast series. Deep Color is an oral history project where I talk with artists about their work and their lives. The ultimate goal here is to give listeners a better understanding about the experiences and people behind the artwork. My name is Joseph Hart. I produce and facilitate this series. These recordings are casual, straight on, and unscripted. This episode profiles Evgenia Barras. Yevgenia makes abstract paintings on heavy weave burlap that feature colorful geometric forms and serpentine lines painted over and around found objects that have been collaged onto the picture plane. Some of the imagery might reference a landscape or letter forms, while other works operate like tableaus that have been embedded with meaningful items such as collected stones and human hair. The work is tactile and full of allegory. And underscores an interest in how materials and symbolic language can connect to personal history. We recorded the following conversation at her studio in the Bushwick section of Brooklyn. I'm always excited to. I'm not a great reader myself, and I'm trying to be better. And I'm always asking artists what they're reading or what what they think other artists should read. So, is there anything on on just right out of the gates? Is there anything like can you? Give me a quick list of things you're reading or something I should read.
1: Okay, so um, I come from a family of readers Mm -hmm. and I want to be a better reader. And it's like a project I've put aside in a way because I've had to prioritize putting all my energies into painting. So I'm reading a little bit, a little bit, but now that I'm going to a residency, I'm packing books with me. Uh Uh-huh. So I am reading Paul Celan, who is a poet. Okay. But also in this book, so it's a poetry written post World War II, kind of um, a poetic way to speak about tragedy. Okay. Um, Very concise, very edited, but each line really causes emotions. Right. But also in the particular book that I'm reading, I have a few of his books. I am reading his speeches for when he would receive honors. Oh, okay. And they're like s- small human lessons. Yeah, of course. Okay, so he's great, but heavy. Okay. Uh, uh, probably like everything I'm going to say. No, is that's, a fine. Bit heavy. that's fine. That's um, fine. I am reading Isaac Babel, who is a Russian. Um, writer, short stories about um, just like daily life of an Odessa jokes. Um, I am uh, reading Toni Morrison. Oh, that's the other thing. Like my sister's high school books are on the shelf okay. in my parents' house. Yeah. And I feel like some of them I've never read and they're so important. Right. Um, so I went through that shelf and kind of picked out.
0: I find myself doing that too uh, when I visit my parents, there's, like, all these books that I didn't read when I was supposed to. So when I'm there, I'm like, oh, I need to flip through this. So that's, I think, a common...
1: Yeah, it's never too... For I the mean, thinking
0: person to go back and, and look at the things that we were supposed to read when we were younger, maybe. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: I mean, maybe I was messing around in high school.
0: Did or you I just didn't care at that things? point, which, I you know, we're we're distracted by certain things when we're younger, but
1: so one thing i was going to say is that there was this woman on npr the other week talking about how she keeps a list of what she reads and she called that project something and i don't remember the name but i want to start doing that okay i would like to keep it like as a diary of just you know the name of the book and a few notes and so on
0: that's smart um why don't I quickly try and describe what I'm what I'm seeing in here? Okay. Um, I would identify you as a painter. Are you comfortable with that term? Totally. Okay. And uh, we're in your studio, and you were just describing before I hit record that you're about to disassemble in here because you're going on residency and you have to move studios. But you have um, a few tables with oil paint and some tools of the trade. You've got palette knives and brushes and uh, um, you know, oil the like tubes of oil paint all laid out and it looks like they're kind of in the spectrum order, uh, which is, uh, you know, a smart system in terms of, uh, trying to find the, the right color at the right time. You know, my, my paint is just in a box and I have to sift and find, you know, not smart. So I just learned something <laughs> that I probably already knew, but I've neglected to do. So it's nice to see that organization there. Um, You've got a, a few storage racks with uh, uh, a lot of paintings stacked up. Maybe those are getting ready to to leave since you've got to pack out. But they're, you know, it's like this totem of uh, probably over a hundred paintings. Um, and then in this back corner, there's a bookshelf with some books, um, and another storage rack that's looking like it, stuff just got removed. And then b- beneath that, it looks like. Um, fabrics and um old pieces of clothing uh, i want to i want i want to sort of think that maybe that's material that you use in the paintings because there is some some there's more than just painting your paintings and we'll get to that and then on the wall you have i'm going to say this is all finished work on it doesn't look like anything in here is in progress at the moment is that accurate it's accurate okay and um you know maybe we could talk about the start for your paintings um and i was just reflecting the other day with another artist about how some artists when they come in the studio it's kind of like a, a panic a mild panic attack every time they enter they forget what they were working on or what they what technique they were using and they sort of have to like start all over again in a small way i don't necessarily get that sense in here it seems like you're quite comfortable when you come in you know what you're going to do um so maybe you could start like just Talk about how you start these things.
1: So, um, good observations. Yeah? Yeah. Thank you. Um, I start them in a variety of ways, and I start many at the same time. Okay. So, um, for example, some I will start by collaging fabrics, some I will start by creating borders with pieces of wood, some I will start by. You know using stretching burlap Um, some i will start by cutting holes into the canvas or uh, putting a number of small quilting a number of small canvases together so i think of them as like many different issues i set up Mm -hmm. and then i solve over time okay so like what you're seeing here is eight months of work okay and Many of them were started at the same time like around eight months ago okay. and then I slowly affect them right um, so maybe 50 minutes on this painting 20 minutes on this painting uh-huh. so like I walk in here and I, I just see what is
0: calling sure is in in this'm um, I'm, I'm always fascinated to find out what situations tell the artist to stop working on this one and go work on that one is it just like you need to rest on that one or is is there a problem that's arising and you just need to get away from it and you go work on an, on another thing or you do you for lack of a, a better term do you get bored with the thing you're working on and then shift to another to try and get excited again
1: yeah i think b- boredom can be a, yeah? a real like the one you're looking at is actually not resolved and bores me okay and I have been working on three other paintings that same size, and I've been looking to them for solutions for the boring one. Right. So by having so many out, they they cause each other to, they kind of pull each other's level up. Yeah. So like, okay, let's say that painting on the floor was at some point solved, but now two other paintings that same size are a lot better. Mm -hmm. that one and the one on the The other The ones that came after, that one was completed. So now that's like the weakling in the chain. Right. So it's going to have to like speak up somehow.
0: Do you think you'll go back into it? Now that you've sort of resolved or figured or learned a few things on newer paintings, you'll go back into an older painting that you thought was once done. Exactly. And strengthen or improve or whatever the word is that you want to throw out. And
1: that's why they have to kind of stick it out here for a while because... You know, probably 70% of them, I'm sure, are resolved. But 30 are in that zone of, like, we need help. Mm-hmm. And we don't know quite how.
0: Right, right. Um, and uh, on a technical level, it's oil paint. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed surface is quite important to you. you you're painting on burlap, which is um, a very rough weave. Um, and it looks like most of this the burlap is wrapped around a panel of some sort there's no stretcher bar is it a panel that you're painting on that's or is it
1: it's is, a stretcher with canvas on it with burlap oh, on top
0: okay it does have this rigid mm-hmm. rigid quality and then um it seems as though before you even start applying the pigment the oil paint you're you are putting other objects in there too to paint over the top of or you do you paint a little bit and then add an object or is it i a do a both an, okay
1: but i think of it as a kind of like battlefield that i set up and then fight against mm-hmm. and uh, and i like for it to vary in the you know sometimes again it's like a framework sometimes pieces of wood are in the middle of the canvas and i have to think like well what do you do with that? Yeah, like it's right I, in the middle. I like. I just f- that's ways to mess with my own understanding of the plane.
0: Mm-hmm. Is 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 adding these almost? They're almost like ob- physical obstacles in the painting. Is that? Mm-hmm. Are you setting up a little course f- for yourself to sort of try and figure out? Yeah. Oh, interesting yeah. strategy there. Yeah. Uh,
1: well, you know, people challenge themselves. Like, it's it's such a teaching tool to say, hey, like. You know, use your left hand or your right foot, yeah. or like put your painting on the floor so you don't fully see it. Yeah. Well, th- this is just one of the ways for myself to not run the same course over yeah. and over. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: identify. I have friends that define those as studio games, and I'm, and I don't know if that does does honors it or or justifies it because those games are incredibly important sometimes, and I think games is. Maybe maybe cheapens it in a way, um, but all those sorts of things that we we learn usually in a you know a formal art learning situation, you know, the draw with your eyes closed, the use your weak hand. I think those play play a huge role af- after the classroom um, mm-hmm. and in the art studio. So it's nice to hear that you use some of these tactics and strategies as well
1: but it works for me also because i like a rough surface Mm -hmm. like the rougher the better like i cannot paint on a smooth surface i mean i try have
0: you ever uh, tried to unpack that why why you don't like a smooth surface um maybe is it too easy
1: it's yeah (laughs) maybe but but i think i like history okay you know and and that that shows in the work,
0: like a built-up working history. Yeah, and like history. people's histories okay. and
1: world history, and mm-hmm. so to me, that like that layering yes, okay. mimics it.
0: Right. Um, yeah. Why don't we talk a little bit about history? You just were telling me um, that you teach, and I didn't realize that. And you teach art history to undergraduates, and I know history is important to your work from from the little bit I read in preparation to coming over here. Um. and symbolism and allegory and um, word shapes I guess I'm starting to get into the content of the work here sort of the things that I'm thinking about while I look at it in. I mean this one's got architecture in it I read those as sort of buildings there's landscape elements um, there's just more sort of abstract shape play um, structure seems important like visual structure Mm-hmm. Seems important. I'm thinking about this um, structure with this one right here in terms of how you're, you, you've applied a grid to the dimension that you're working on and filling in the areas of that grid. Um, there's there's some like geometry involved in your work, mm-hmm. um, and then that geometry is broken up with more like sort of organic shapes. So there's a nice balance there between hard lines and curved lines, um, and even the application of paint sort of interrupts. Um, more graphic areas with more painterly areas or even the the contour of the surface that you're working on some of these are not rectangles or squares they're l shapes or um you know have weird kinks in them and and things like that so um would you co-sign on that list of observations Mm -hmm. yeah Um, what would you add to it or take away
1: well, I can talk a little bit about letters for okay, example. Yeah. Because that's a recent more recent addition. Okay. Like I I I've, I've always been interested in language and in writing, but mm-hmm. post my last solo show, I, I consciously wanted letters from numerous languages that I speak to enter the work. And um you know, I think of them, I mean there's been code in my work before, right. but I think of this as like the, c- the sibling of that code. Okay. And um, s- uh, some of them are just uh, beginnings, they're initials of people's names. Mm-hmm. Some are readable le- uh, words. Mm-hmm. Um, some are words that uh, you would be able to read only if you knew how to read Russian. Okay. Um,
0: how many languages do you speak?
1: I speak too fluently, and then I um, read and write in two other languages. Or so we've got English, Russian. Russian. I studied French for a very French. long time okay. and Hebrew. Okay, cool. But not fluent in French or Hebrew okay. by far.
0: Okay. Um, but like I like this idea of code and the the letter as letter forms or the type connected to this code um yeah
1: but also maybe um knowing that it can't be read but still you know finding it important to embed it in the work Mm -hmm. so it's a little bit unavailable and i'm aware right um and i'm okay with that
0: yeah it sort of connects to what we were saying earlier Um, again before we hit record but like want to you want to keep some of this to yourself right. you know there's some secrets that you don't necessarily want the viewer to know about and um you know maybe it's just connected to like you know the importance of mystery in this type of art making you know it's it's not s- representationally specific um and we bring our own experience and baggage and, and we create our own logic for it as the viewer um,
1: yeah, I think that not over explaining, yeah. I mean, there's so much exposure of the work these days that like something has to be kept in the heart. Sure. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about like that question of, you know, what influences you? What do you look at? And how I've been to numerous lectures where the speaker will refuse to give that answer.
0: Mm-hmm. Why do you think I that mean? is?
1: I think, for the same reason, mm-hmm. like, th- it's like there's uh, so many things are public now, right I don't refuse to give that answer, especially to students, right. but it was I, mean, I just attended something where I saw the person like cut off that question, no I'm not talking about that, yeah, yeah like that's fair, and you I think that's you that's know, a no, because that's like that person's mining ground, yeah. you know,
0: yeah, and also uh, there might be some like um. So I'm like that's sacred territory, and um, I wonder if it's all, all like it's an ownership thing too. like no, I don't want to share my influences because I don't want you to use them and and they're mine. There's, so there's a little bit of like bear hugging of ideas, and I think that's okay in art, yeah, for sure. Um, I wonder if you know you know, getting back into the process stuff, you know uh, and, and I think this is something I read with the the objects that you're uh, collaging into the canvases to, to paint over. Um, I wonder where you're finding these objects or what you're looking for in these objects and um, if these objects can play a role in the sort of code that you're talking about here.
1: There are um, two things I'm thinking about. One, whether the object can go through an interesting enough transformation like whether the object in the process of painting can become not itself mm-hmm. or not as it was born. Mm-hmm. And two, yeah, I look for, you know, like the, there are paintings with little stones that I found in a particular creek. Okay. There are, uh, my grandmother's dress is uh, embedded into one of these paintings. It's oh wow. around the corner. You're not seeing it, but I'll show it to yes, you yes. once we're done. And the... the um, she, she wears this kind of velvet house robe and I took one of them and collaged it into um, into the painting so it, it's not something I would like indicate in the title right? but I think that um, it's a kind of talisman like I, when I talk about mum- the mummification process in class and how you know parts of Book of the Dead would be wrapped into the mummy or you know pieces of jewelry Um that's, yeah. like, like, I'm wrapping all of that into the painting, and it's the soup ingredients of which you might not know.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, it sounds like these are personal objects. Your grandmother's dress, some stones you found in a creek. So there's, a, there's, there's you in these. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, it's pretty generous of you to share. I mean, I don't know if that was part of the mystery of these things. But, you know, as a, as a casual viewer that's, you know, seen your work before, and I'm seeing a bunch of it now, like... Um, I would not have known that if unless you shared that with you, so thanks <laughs> um, It's funny, I was just talking about mummification with my one of my kids recently, and we were talking about how they um remove the brain from the skull cavity through the nose with a big hook and and my daughter refused to believe that 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 a brain could fit out your nose, yeah. Kind of a gross little, you little know, side every note every
1: student but. remembers that. Like, if, yeah. whether they had extensive experience with Egyptology or mm-hmm. not, they remember that fact. I remember it's, it. I mean, it's it was so f- fucking disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> it is.
0: I mean, how could you forget? Yeah. Um, it does sort of defy physics in a way. Because we think of the brain as this spongy like big thing. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not to sidetrack us too no, much. No,
1: uh, e- Egypt is really, really interesting. And really, a h- like, a huge... I mean, ancient history is a huge mining ground for my work, you know. It's that kind of thing where you arrive to New York and you end up with jobs that you never expected. So, like, I love history, but never did I think that I would be teaching Mesopotamia mm-hmm. and Egypt and Greece in college... And now that I do, what I look at in slides totally affects this. I mean, I look at incredible ancient texts mm-hmm. and really interesting issues in regards to perspective mm-hmm. and pigments that are mm-hmm. of wondrous tones. Yeah. Um,
0: That's so great. You're lucky that you, you're, you're perf- your job can play an influential role in the stuff that you're making. Um, yeah, but I mean, a number of the jobs I've had, I mean, I've had like office jobs and like labor-based jobs, and maybe I pick some stuff out of that for my own work, but yeah, I can see a, like a, a bridge between the stuff that you're probably reading and teaching and researching about, um, right back into what you're making here. That's great. Um, we talk about where you grew up mm-hmm. and maybe, you know, how you entered art or what brought you into wanting to become an artist? Um, where did you grow up?
1: Um, until I was 12, I grew up in uh, Russia, in a city called Samara. And uh, I, it was the Soviet Union when I was born. And I took classes in painting, but also in gymnastics and classical guitar. Mm-hmm. Like My parents really believe in that kind of education yeah. where you dip into all kinds of curious disciplines in order to discover what sticks yeah
0: exactly yeah um
1: i kind of wish more stuck i i was so i continued to take painting classes but i interrupted my classical guitar education and just because of like my own stubbornness and rebellion and i wish i actually continued and now could like Play to myself in my living room. Yeah, I, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. but that is where my interest in art began. Okay, um, I started taking classes at the age of six, and it was much more of a classical education, observational education. But I had a really great teacher, um, starting probably the age of seven and a half or eight, who I'm still in touch with. So when I visit Russia, I stay with him, actually. Mm -hmm. He's my host. And um, he was a person who, um, even though I think the formula for educating children in the arts was quite straightforward, he was very open-minded. And, you know, though he was not someone who was well-traveled, he showed me books with amazing places and art from, you know, other locations. And. Um, that's, that's how it started.
0: Great. You know, one of the things I should have mentioned when, when there's these pauses in these things, Mm -hmm. those are the things I edit out. That's me like trying to catch my brain.
1: Totally.
0: Um, so, uh. But
1: with this slowness, I just wanted to say one more thing is that like, I'm concerned with the fact that I want my paintings to have a slower read. Okay. So.
0: Do you think they're fast right now?
1: I, no, I, I think that the, you know, the pace of the mark varies, that for example, the surface can build, built built up over six years, but then the drawing on the surface can be a two hour drawing. Sure. And I'm interested in that. And I'm interested in the fact that, you know, when they photograph, they can photograph rather flat. But then when you come to my studio, like there are all these nooks and crannies of the painting that slow, slow the viewer down. Mm -hmm. Um, and i think about that like mm-hmm. the, about the pace of other types of art i enjoy and like film and mm-hmm. how to translate that into
0: painting yeah that's well said do you are are some of your paintings do they take years to realize to f- complete themselves yeah okay. there
1: are paintings in here that are 6 to 7 years old wow but the, like the the final action could have been yesterday's performance. Right, right,
0: right, right. That's impressive. I mean, I don't have... I mean, it might be just part of my um, American brain, but, like, my... I don't have much patience, so to, to dedicate that much time and care to something over the long haul like that is really... Really Listen, concrete. I'm
1: not very patient no. either okay. in other realms of my life. Yeah. And it's, it's also something I want to work on. But somehow in here, some of those characteristics don't apply. Also, like, like impatience, right? But no. also, um, I stacked some of these away in my parents' house and then returned to them years later and saw them as... At some point, they were paintings, and now they were just backgrounds. Okay. So it helped that they weren't, like, dragged from studio to studio in New York. Right. They were just away, and then I revisited them, and I said, whoa, they're, like, amazing, crusty, like, war zones without, like, something that actually ties yeah. them together. That's a,
0: that's a great realization, like, put getting away from work. Mm -hmm. Um, and then coming back to it, we're arguably different people by the time we get back to it. Like if you're away from one of your paintings that's at your parents' house for a couple years, you've grown as a person and and you've had more experiences and you have new ideas and you may have shed some old ideas or not, you know, just have a different point of view about an old idea and to bring that back into a, a painting that you started a few years ago, I think is a great thing to do. Um... Maybe we could talk about the studios and, you know, studios are they're sacred spaces and they're places where we figure things out or wrestle with things. And and, um, I guess maybe I'd like to talk about like how you how you operate during studio visits. Um, And maybe this is like more of like a question geared towards students right now, because, um, you know, there's a different there's a few different ways to to facilitate a studio visit but but I'm curious how you as someone that makes paintings and I know you're part of a gallery mm-hmm. which we'll talk about in a little bit but but how do you how do you run a studio visit that was a bit very long setup for that question sorry uh, um, about
1: that no 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 it's um, it, it's I think it really varies depending on who is coming over sure. right so if if it's an artist friend who is coming over and they've seen my work over the years i put out most of what i've made hang it on the walls and have them talk to m- maybe even voice the issues with the current work right. and ask them what is working and what isn't working pose direct questions and have them sort through it with me and i have a few friends like i think those friendships are very important who have watched you over the years yeah they know the work they know the work you know you were always concerned with blah 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 and you know now it's absent here Mm -hmm. or this symbol keeps on returning So those are such fruitful studio visits because they leave and all you want to do is paint and you have such clarity, right?
0: Right. And you trust them. Exactly. You know them. You have a history with them, which will probably ease any sort of like initial awkwardness from when someone new comes in. I think those relationships are hugely important.
1: And I have a crit group with friends that, you know, that I formed a few years ago. And, you know, it's like post post school like that's such a healthy way of you know building community and helping each other out and we were all in a show together and then we decided that oh it would be great to continue conversation it'll be our fourth year meeting
0: oh how many people are in the group
1: um i think eight and do
0: you just sort of rotate around from studio to studio so
1: once a year Uh we end up in each other's studio and we really like prepare for it and we cook a meal for it oh that's nice also And they're all, uh, some are sculptors. I was going to say they're all painters, but that's not true. There are two or three sculptors. Uh But we get very personal. Like it's very much about like the inside world Mm -hmm. and how it's expressed through the work.
0: Mm -hmm. That's great.
1: So that's for artists visits. Um, Then if I know that uh, this is a curator or a collector coming over and I know that they're capable of sorting through a lot of information. I will also hang a lot of work. Okay. And. Um,
0: Is this? Would you put this much work up?
1: M- that's a lot of work. Because you yeah. have
0: uh, you have maybe two dozen paintings. Up two right dozen now. paintings, yeah.
1: right? So it will depend on how much I trust in their ability to to edit.
0: Okay. Um, Do you ever edit for them?
1: But most <laughs> of the time, exactly <laughs> what you're saying, <laughs> Sorry, I jump, would edit for here. them, <laughs> yeah. and. I would kind of build the narrative through the work right. and and again, like I find that the you know, just like we're speaking, I try for those conversations to be informative and revealing mm-hmm. and not just be about the work but right. you know where I I travel a lot so you know where I've been recently and how that's feeding into the work mm-hmm. or you know a recent opera I heard I think that that you know that without giving away the mystery Mm -hmm. i think it coats the work and in something more you know it 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 adds to the generosity of it like i try for the work to be generous and for the conversation around it to also be so
0: yeah that's well said i mean sharing some of your personal experiences i think is a great sort of way to set it up for a viewer because that informs how they're going to experience the work and might even subversively connect in a way. I think that's really great. Um,
1: but from grad yeah. school, I learned, yeah. right, that mm-hmm. if you hang something that you don't want to talk about, it like 90% of the time, the conversation will be on that one drawing yes. that you, you know, it's just like your thought process and you didn't want to go there. And now the whole entire crit panel is focused on this thing and you waited for them to come for the past semester so i exclude i look around my studio and exclude bits of information whether it's a drawing in my you know um, sketchbook or whatever is hanging on the wall where i don't want the conversation to go right
0: yeah i think that's important I, i a few things i've learned over you know my my trip through studio visits. If it's, if it's like a gallerist or a collector, like that spectrum of studio visit, don't show unshowed work. Don't put up anything that you are unsure about, whether if it's finished or whether you like it or not. So if you have any questions about it or you're some discomfort about it, put it away. Right. Um, so, yeah. I the mean, questions
1: I think, are saved for your friends yes. who mean well for you. Yeah, and yeah. not for... Yeah. Like who are who uh will crit you in a loving but growth geared yeah. manner yeah whereas
0: yeah and i also think it's important to sort of be in control during a studio visit like i've had i've had um gallerists or collectors come on and start just like pulling stuff out of my rack I'm like no 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 that's that's there for a reason like we're over here on the stuff on the wall like this is you know these are my rules in here like you need i think there's there's maybe a knee-jerk response sometimes to protect my space and my territory totally. and, and for me to like and you're, same conversation right yeah. same
1: with where you don't want to go like yeah. for example you know you might want to talk about your curatorial projects if you're an artist who curates but mm-hmm. you might not maybe right. it's the day for you when you want to focus on your paintings like it's the season of your work and not your curatorial work yeah yeah in here yeah you know yeah
0: um since we're sort of like talking about students and maybe this information is helpful for students and you, you you teach art history and this is something I often ask teachers artists that are also teachers if if there's a um like what what do you want your students to take away from your instruction um, i know you're you're not teaching studio classes you're teaching art history classes, but what do you want them to find important about the history that you're showing them
1: so I do end up uh, regularly I teach art history but I mm. do end up going to universities and critiquing for a day okay, you know yeah. so in that way I look at painting and I think that there are a few things I talk about I talk about the work being personal and stemming from you like how is this your work mm-hmm. um, I talk a lot about looking outside of painting for source material Mm-hmm. And not even being aware of what your peers are doing and what is currently happening in your community artistically, but being able to also look back, like look, don't look at somebody necessarily who is 22, but look at somebody who is 85, who's Mm -hmm. making still. Yeah. I talk about the longevity or of your studio practice and how you will make after school, Mm -hmm. like What do you have to do to build that long-standing studio practice? I talk about professional issues with Mm -hmm. them. Like, how do you write your artist statement? How do you uh, function in the world as an artist? Mm -hmm. Um, How do you survive as an artist? How do you survive as an artist? Because, you know, we all arrive... Well, we'll talk about New York, because that's what we both know, with different gifts and skills and... um, lack of connections or, mm-hmm. and so on. And how do you sort of build yourself up? I talk about, um, you know, looking a lot at, mm-hmm. at the world in general. I mean, curiosity and yeah. how do you sustain it? I talk about not being bitter.
0: Mm. I think that's really hard in this town sometimes. Um, it's easy an, an easy place to get jaded. Um, but that's a great... And examples of
1: people who I know who were not, quote unquote, discovered for many years, but remained positive as human beings. Right. Um,
0: It's important to point point those artists out because I think, you know, choosing to be an artist is sort of a courageous act in itself and a brave act. And if you're going to see it through as like, this is... This is the lens in which I view my life, and how I look at the world. And I also make these things because I need to. I feel compelled to for whatever reason. Like you carry that over the long term, um, and whether there's, you know, market success connected to that, to that or not, it's almost like a separate thing. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you're more interested in the in, in the in the artist that that wants wants to to like walk this journey with their life as opposed to like. How can I? How can I get into the Whitney Biennial? You know that sort like of. Tomorrow. Yeah, like that sort of like sprint mentality versus marathon mentality. Um,
1: well, and that has to do with the fact that I studio visit, or again, there's seasons of this. I don't currently studio visit as much as I used to, but being in studios with many different kinds of artists of all different ages and listening to their stories like those are life lessons right and that short path you're talking about like i'm i think i'm rarely in studios of those people but that really doesn't interest me
0: yeah and i also think that they're the minority but they get talked about the most because they're making a gazillion bucks or in this show or in that show, but but there's but more e- of us than them.
1: Right. And the, who you immediately surround yourself with, like th- that's that's your model. Sure. And that's your like healthy ecosystem. Yeah. And I yeah, the other model doesn't sound that that healthy to me.
0: No, that's well said. And thanks for being open about it. I mean that's sort of unromantic, unsexy stuff to talk about, but I, I like I like going there sometimes. I think this it's helpful for, for us to hear the, these points of view. Um, you are a founding member of a gallery. Mm-hmm. It's an artist-run gallery, Regina Rex. Um, can you talk about how that came to be and you, and your role in it, and um, any exchanges between being a painter and being a gallerist, and how they sort of help or hurt each other? Can, um, Can you talk about that?
1: Um, The gallery um, happened because, I mean, when I have to summarize it into a sentence, it had to do with the fact that I wanted a community in New York, Mm -hmm. and I didn't have one. I arrived here not knowing artists. Mm -hmm. I came from the Art Institute of Chicago. That's where I went to grad school. So I came not knowing anyone and wanting to meet people, and I... I, it wasn't so planned, but I guess I got early knew that one way to meet people is to do a project together. Yes. So I put it out into the world and and was invited to start a gallery by uh, there are a few of us in the gallery who went to grad school together, okay. but I was like the l- kind of the loose aspect I was invited in, yeah, right? Yeah. I didn't I, I, I didn't go to um to grad school with those individuals. So uh, we started this project together by building out a space right near where we are right now in Jefferson stop uh, in bushwick and um, you know it's it's seven years old in two days Wow so
0: congratulations
1: thank you uh, as in our first show we met we met around May first, but we opened our first show around June first in um It's been such an incredible journey. I mean, I kind of can't imagine my New York life without it. Right. Um, Both because of the friendships that I made with the people with whom I run the gallery and the friendships I built by exhibiting people or studio visiting people. Mm -hmm. Like, my community are those people who I, you know, reached out to and said, you know, I'm really interested in your work. Can I come by? And then somehow we ended up working together. Um, I learned so much about being an artist through that, again, by hearing their stories. And, like, it it was my second and third and fourth grad school. Right. Um, I learned a lot about what I'm interested in seeing next to what. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, from like a cu- curatorial, curatorial point of, point of view. Of yep. view. Mm-hmm. Um, and from the beginning, I thought about it kind of like um, curating a really good dinner party. Like, who do you want to have around you and who are you interested in introducing to who? Right. Like seeing those people in the room together, right. you know, it's, 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 and their work. Right. It's like everybody's hanging out. You That's know? a great metaphor, the dinner party.
0: So, sort of it's an
1: it's not like I studied the curatorial science, right? It's that I learned about it just by doing mm-hmm. and by fine-tuning that skill. Um, and by showing work that's not like your own work at all right. and learning about it. Um, at this point, um, so it's always been that we kind of step in and step out, meaning... Right. You know, right now I have a solo show going up. I'm giving an example. So Mm -hmm. while I'm working on that solo show, maybe I just gallery sit. I I don't actually work on an exhibition. Right, right. So it's this kind of weaving yourself in and out of the project. Yeah, it sounds like you
0: adapt to whatever the situation is.
1: Exactly. Uh So, um, for example, you know, two shows ago, we were exhibiting someone who I brought into the gallery and I know her work really well. Mm-hmm. So I came just to think through the hanging. Right. I didn't actually physically hang the work, but then I set up the bar for the opening, right. you know? So those were my, my two tasks for that show. Yeah, yeah, So it's that kind of, um, it's that kind of thing. But th- there were points where, you know, I curated a 13 person exhibition and, you know, wrote the press release and hung the show, right. so.
0: Depends it, what you have going it's on. It's a
1: collaborative project and we measure each other's strengths at each point yeah. in the game.
0: That sounds great. I mean, I, because it's an artist-run space, I, I feel like that affords it to operate like this. Other more commercial-driven galleries, everyone's got their role and that's what they do for every show, so it's nice to hear you guys shifting around and taking turns, and um, I think that that probably produces some variety in the exhibitions uh, that come forward and um, keeps things exciting and interesting and not predictable.
1: For sure. I mean, it's a very different kind of organization, and like, you know, it can seem, some aspects of it can be, you know, frustrating around the organizational aspect as for all artists-run yeah. spaces, but yeah. on the other hand, yeah, it breathes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a living thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've said this before, but I'm a I'm a huge supporter of artist-run spaces. I think they provide something that uh, the 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 more commercial galleries do not. Not you know, there's there's great things that are connected to those as well. But I think there's a certain type of pressure connected to. The, the commercial gallery space, whether you're showing at it or you want to be showing at it, or you're just a visitor going to an opening, there's like a, a social pressure involved. Um, and I, I think those don't necessarily uh, manifest themselves in artist run spaces, which so I always like to point that out and mm-hmm. salute the, art, the mm-hmm. artist run space. Um, I guess while we're talking about showing this stuff, uh, do you remember the first time you put your work in a, in a public setting so that people could see it?
1: I th- Yeah, I do. Um, during my undergrad years, mm-hmm. wh- which were at the University of Pennsylvania in Philly, uh, they have a few galleries on campus. And one of them just like all of a sudden became available, like there was a slot that wasn't being used by grad students and it was given to me and a friend of mine and it was sort of like put up a two-person show in a few days, but there were probably like five rooms in this gallery, I mean it was enormous. It was a big place. And I remember that this is still someone that I'm in touch with. Um, her mom and my dad and the two of us put up the whole entire exhibition.
0: That's great. It, it was a really... It was a family effort. It was a family
1: effort. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Um, it, I don't think that was good painting or anything, but it was an important experience just to be vulnerable that way.
0: Uh huh. For sure. Um,
1: Do you remember the first time you showed?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a similar sort of, you know, family effort. Um, I think I may have mentioned this in another recording, but I, I, I showed some, some landscape paintings of local landmarks in the area I grew up in, in New Hampshire, in a storefront that also sold rugs and told taught kids art in the back. So it was like a rug shop.
1: Wait, is it still there?
0: Uh, there is might a be, that's right. You've been to, you've been to the town I grew up in cause you did a residency there at the right. McDowell colony. I think it's still I there. I know that place there
1: yeah. because I love rugs. I'm okay. obsessed it's with rugs. It's in the rugs. little downtown area. Yes. Yeah. So I went into that, um, this shop. This is hilarious.
0: This is like small worlds colliding.
1: And I bought materials there. I bought paintings. there. Yeah,
0: there's, there. there's art supplies in the back too. So that, that place in like the year 1999 Wow. is the first time I put art out. I mean, I I, I put some stuff in galleries during school and stuff like that, like like uh, school galleries. But the first time outside of school, that's the that's the location. And my grandfather built all the frames. I guess that's what I meant by a family effort. And my mom was friends with the woman who ran that place and sort of helped facilitate the exhibition. So,
1: well, it's. Usually, you know, that that's the lesson. You can't really do this alone. It's always a family effort, however you define family. This is true. So, I mean, my dad still, and my mom, still helped me in the studio, by the way. And I actually have met many people who really like like to collaborate with their parents.
0: Yeah? What Um, sorts of things do they help you with?
1: Okay, so for example... I really like burlap but didn't want to go looking for it in Brooklyn so my parents garden you well they garden oh, in Philadelphia okay. they live in Philadelphia and they garden so they buy a lot of materials in burlap like gardening materials like little rocks for their path in the garden uh-huh. so they uh, bought burlap they got collected all the burlap sacks, washed them in their washer at home, and then brought them for me. That's fantastic. So that's what what you're seeing here. That's just one of the like a thousand things my parents have helped me with. No, but, that's great. You
0: know. And it also it like connects to the the layers of personal information that you're including in the work. That's great. Yeah, I really like that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, let's get back into the work. You know, I th- you know, one of the things I, I sent in the notes before I came over was this. This idea of satisfaction and feeling satisfied by the stuff that we're making. Um, I don't know where do you fall on that line. Do do you get a do you feel satisfied when you complete a painting, or do you? Is there something that like makes you keep pushing and and like find the struggle as a you know a driving engine to keep going? Well,
1: as you know, only once in a blue moon do you have a painting that's, like, it seems really good. Like, you finished it fast. It seems complete. Mm -hmm. And 10 days later, it still seems so.
0: Right. Yeah, it came together without too much struggle. Right.
1: Yeah, and you don't question yourself later either. Mm -hmm. That's, like, super rare. Like, there's maybe, like, one object like that in this room. Right, right. The rest of it is... Satisfactory today and completely ridiculous tomorrow, right you know? yeah and but I'm okay with that, and because I work on so many pieces, that struggle is a bit dispersed, like I don't singularly suffer on one thing as much, you know i'm I'm dispersing my suffering, yeah <laughs> and and. You know, and amongst all of those, so there are different kinds of paintings here. There are ones that work out fast, suck tomorrow, work out fast, and wow, they mm-hmm. they don't suck even days later. And suck, 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 and then yeah. turn out to be okay in the end.
0: Yeah, and plus you're 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 allowing yourself to put these away for a couple of years and then return to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's a take. You know, I talked about my own curiosities with this with with this project i'm doing and and, i mean that's a great little thing that i might i don't know i mean i i typically destroy work because i'm i don't want to deal with it anymore but maybe i should rethink reevaluate that choice Well, but how do your
1: surfaces look Are are they so is it okay if they are actually layered or would that change
0: no no it's okay like there's a lot of layers in my stuff okay i mean my drawings are just that's usually like one surface but the paintings there is there's a lot of layers so on
1: maybe there. then it's okay not to destroy your canvas yeah could, you know
0: yeah another uh, uh, like i guess connecting back to satisfaction and reevaluating but yeah that's a uh, i'm not satisfied with a lot of my work um and like you um i got to make 20 things to get one that feels okay um and i typically destroy the other 19 and but then i use that material to to build from and make other things. But maybe I should let it sit for a bit longer. And
1: I like that, you know, even if even if I do destroy once in a while, I don't destroy as much. I just kind of have it reincarnate. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I like that idea that you reuse your own materials and kind of take your children apart and yeah. make a new family. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. Or, you know, just, yeah, disassembling to rebuild again. I think that's... Uh, like something we learn to do when we're children, right? Like you build something out of blocks or whatever the material is in front of you, and then you knock it down and start all over again. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, I'm still doing that. Um, it's sort of like a, a human response to whatever See, it is in front of us.
1: I've been thinking about that a lot, like how much more I think about childhood as time passes. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess I talk a lot to adults, but they never warned me. They warned me about many things, but not the fact that I'll like track back to being a kid so much i mean th- yeah
0: yeah That's, that's and there's a, a lot of that for sure I mean, a, a returning to that that sort of
1: someone way of thinking recently in here said that these 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 newer works remind them of games like board games oh, or okay. now I don't know how many games I played as a kid, but yeah, it's like
0: I can see that did that mm-hmm. Were, were you accepting of that? Yeah, feedback? Yeah, I
1: think that that's an interesting that's an interesting interpretation. Do ap-
0: yeah. you ever get feedback that you really disagree with or are offended by? I mean, because yes, I, I guess, yeah,
1: totally. I actually remember an adjective that was used during a grad critique that I was very offended by in the moment. I actually didn't know what the word meant, and then I went and looked it up, mm-hmm. and it was dingy. Someone, dingy. Someone said. I I even remember who it was, said that the work looks really dingy during, like, let's say my second year MFA critique. Uh But, you know, it's like... Later on, of course, like, I... So, not every criticism do you embrace later. But this is a criticism I actually, like, later really liked. Okay, so I kind of like when my work looks a little bit used up. Mm -hmm. Like, it lived through a lot. So... So that's it's reality,
0: yeah I mean, it's a good question to ask i mean i got I get cool feedback regularly on my own work, and I'm even starting to get some cool feedback on this project, which is okay. That's just part of the when you put something out there. Um, I don't know that I've been offended or too terribly upset, but like getting harsh words sometimes can. There's good that can come from that.
1: Or not, you know, studio visits where there isn't enough feedback. I, I had one like that recently where that maybe didn't. I don't know if the word of is offend, but it's like why did it? Why does the work cause silence? I mean, it's a question. Mm-hmm. Like I think that That's that can be. That's an interesting question. That can be really.
0: Someone stupid. said, "Why does your? Why does the work?"
1: <gasps> no, they were just very stoic oh, in the oh, studio. Oh, like were. there wasn't enough. Uh, emotion right. either in either way okay. you know, that I was observing uh, somebody who wasn't asking enough questions and mm-hmm. that made me I, I noticed it made me really uncomfortable yeah. Like what this doesn't make you feel in any way yeah. at all no
0: I, I get that for sure <laughs> yeah you want some sort of response yeah. right whether it be good or bad <laughs> but not nothing <laughs> exactly.
1: Um, exactly.
0: what what about Unrealized projects. Is there anything on that list? You're going to a residency soon. That's a pretty exciting thing to, to, that's coming up. Um, do you have any? I mean, goals are sometimes slippery, or it's. Pr- I I often find myself not wanting to voice my goals because then I have to live up to them. So I keep them in. You know, that's part of my mystery. Mm-hmm. Um. So I understand if you don't want to go there. But is, are there any projects that you hope to realize? In the the near or far future?
1: Um, For your paintings? For my paintings. Okay, because I was going to say, like, I want to learn some other languages.
0: Or it could be not your paintings, too. And there are many
1: places in the world I really want to see, like, badly. What what are the first few that come to mind? Like, there are a few places in Africa I want to see because I've only seen Morocco and Egypt. But I've never seen any other parts of Africa.
0: Can you think of any countries you want to visit?
1: Senegal I want to visit, for example. Kenya I'd love to visit. Um, Also, um, oh my gosh, there's so many countries in the Middle East. And just to go back to Italy, I would Mm -hmm. love to do that. So, (laughs) okay, those are some projects. Mm -hmm. In terms of um, art, um, I am perpetually working towards enlarging my paintings yeah. and how to retain the kind of density of small paintings in bigger paintings mm-hmm. yeah, I guess so, I should
0: have mentioned that real quick your paintings aren't huge no the, like the biggest one you have on the wall is like 26 by 34 maybe or something like that inches Mm-hmm. So th- these are paintings that one could put under their arm and walk out of here with. So anyway, yes. I just wanted to give the listeners some context for the size we're talking about here.
1: So like the two that you're seeing in front of yourself, which are not 20 by 16, right? Mm-hmm. Which is my usual size. They are my recent paintings in the past, you know, let's say four or five months that I've been working on. So it's been a continuous. So you see here is a stack of larger stretched canvases Okay. Um, that I'm thinking about and... No, I would like to exchange some illustrated letters with friends. Oh, interesting. S- and I'm going to sing a little bit to w- for someone else's performance. Oh. So, uh, are you
0: comfortable singing? Is this something in your in your skill set that you have?
1: I I will sing in Russian. Oh, okay. Um uh, in English, I don't know, okay. but you know. So these are some, but yeah, you're right that some of like the holier goals, I think it's a good idea to keep them inside because not just because then other people keep you accountable, but because there is like this brewing process, right? Mm -hmm. And that, I think that like happens in your head and in your heart before you voice it. I don't. It's not about other people who are going to say, you didn't learn whatever by this date. It's right. just that I want to mold that thing over and over until it becomes
0: true. Yeah, it's important to keep stuff for us and only us sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so
1: I have many yeah. other goals, but mm-hmm. I'll tell you next time we see each other when I achieve them.
0: Excellent. Um, I feel like this is probably a good place to round it out. We've been talking for a little while now and... You know, we're, we're sort of joking as we walked in that we've been talking about doing this for over a, almost a year. At least it was it was 2016 when we started this conversation. Totally. So I'm glad that we finally got to sit down. Yes. It was a real pleasure to discuss your work and see more of your work in person. I learned, you know, a lot of really great things. And um, thanks thank for being so generous with your time. And
1: Thank you for visiting me.
0: And we've made it to the end. A quick reminder that listeners can learn more about this project and the artists featured by visiting deepcolorpodcast.com. You can also find the series and subscribe in iTunes. Thank you for listening and check back soon for a new episode.